You know the vibes. Welcome back to another episode of the Hoop Genius Podcast brought to you by NBA 2K22. I'm your boy, as always, Momutsi. Alongside me, three-time NBA champion, BJ Armstrong. We had to bring another NBA champion along with us. The man who needs no introduction. The one, the only, Mr. Brian Scalabrini. How are you doing today, sir? You, normally when they say the one, the only, they always call me the white mamba. Man, one and only for my Scalabrini. I like that. I'm, I'm mixing it up. I'm mixing it up. You know what I'm saying? I'm mixing it up. How you doing? How you doing? Oh, that, I, hey, Scal, I didn't know the white mamba until much later. I knew Scal. The, when he was grimy, when he was dirty, yeah. when the guy was down there. And you know what, man? Welcome doing great. You are doing an incredible, incredible job. The transition you made as a player doing, now you're winning, what, Emmys? What you winning, Grammy? You're doing something. Emmys, you're just Emmys, winning Emmys, Emmys. Yeah, Emmys. Congratulations, <laughs> you're the voice of the Celtics. Just talk us through, man. I, I'm so proud of you. It's like, you know, I feel like one of my my old. You are, Let I'm me old tell you. to be your dad, you know? Let and uh, you. it's so great. It all, it all started, so, uh, it all started at the, uh, what was that place called? The soup plantation? What was the place called where we went to go get the salad? You know? I can't remember. It was, Scallop, oh, it was, no. uh, I don't remember so, anything, you know? So so I'm at, I'm at, at the time it was SFX, right? And Bob Myers is recruiting me. He's been recruiting me for like three months. And me and Bob are talking all the time, back and forth. Me and Bob are still cool, right? Like, we're like I ended up hiring them and you'll hear the story. Me and Bob are talking back and forth and everyone's like, you got your agent, your agent, your agent's so important. Bob would never say, Scout, when you are you gonna sign, you're gonna get this done, right? And so finally I'm, I'm hanging out with BJ and BJ's like, let me, Scout, close that door behind you. Let me tell you how it really is. Like normally we recruit clients and those clients are usually like, we, we want those clients. They're gonna make a boatload of money and, and it's gonna help our, and it's gonna help our brand. In this situation, we're kind of doing you a favor. So you you better you better sign with us. So as soon as I became like, you know, when I was the man, y'all recruiting me, I'm like, oh, let me let me test my option. As soon as it got flipped, I'm like, oh wait, I'm lucky to be with y'all. All right, give me that paper. Let me sign that thing. <laughs> you can't be so me and can't B, close the door, scale. It goes, it goes way back, man. It goes way back. And let me tell you. Yeah, everyone thinks that Nowitzki was the uh, the originator of the one foot setback, and I've never seen that shot before. Bees was trying to teach me that shot right from the beginning. Like, Scott, you ain't gonna get your shot off in the NBA, man. This is you got to have something special to your game. This is the shot you need. Like, I ain't shooting no one foot floater. I ain't Bob Cousy out here. He's like, no, nah, man, I'm telling you. Now, how about we got Kevin Durant, we got Nowitzki, everybody shooting the one foot. Kobe Bryant, everybody shooting the one foot step back, and. BJ was the first one trying to teach me that move. Man, that's crazy. Like, <laughs> I mean, the scale step back, you know what I'm saying? It could be your silhouette that they got printed on the court. But, but you know, Scale, you've had an amazing career. And, you know, for me, as a fan, I'll say as a fan, growing up, you were part of the iconic Celtics team that was celebrated the other night with Kevin Garnett having his jersey retired and sent up to the rafters. You hosted the event, you out there on the court talking to KG. What was that experience like for you to have the band back together? Yeah, so a few things. Let me unfold this for a second. So I, I know the KG retirement ceremony is happening. And about a, about a month before, the Celtics kind of allude to me like, hey, we're thinking about you and KG sitting down and having an interview. So I'm in my mind, 
I'm thinking we're going to go backstage. We're going to like have an interview and then we're going to cut it up and it's going to go on the Jumbotron, right? So as it gets closer, I'm like, yo, so how's that interview going to go? When are we going to do it? We're going to do it before. We're going to do it the night before, like all these things. And they're like, nah, like the way we're going to do it is like you and KG at center court. And instead of him doing a speech, we're going to do this. And then they just kind of walked away. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. When you say center court, you mean in front of 20,000 people for KG's retirement ceremony. So instead of him thanking everybody, you're asking me to ask questions to him. And it was like, and they tried to go a different direction. It was his only demand. My only demand is I don't want to do a speech, but I want to sit at center court with Brian, with Scout, you know, like with White Mamba. And when I've got that back, man, my stomach started turning, man. I'm like, well, for, the way I work in life is I do things and I'm like, all right, there's a game today. Like I, the Celtics are playing the Sacramento Kings. If I botch the game, there's another game in two days. That's just how it goes. There's 82 of these bad boys, right? There's only one of one when it comes to the Kevin Garnett jersey retirement. So I did not want to mess it up. And I didn't want to make it about me. I wanted to make it about him. And that's not an easy thing to do. Plus, there's no reference point to go look and say, Oh, look how they did it right here. This is how I'm going to, I can just copy what they're doing. So I was torn up for like, uh, I'd say a good two weeks beforehand trying to, you know, deliver what like the real uh, Garnett, because a lot of people don't know he's a phenomenal teammate. He cares about each individual. He's not all the craziness, the headbutting, the stanchion and all that stuff. That's just a small part of who he is. I mean, it's a big part from the standpoint of being prepared and focused, but the guy's like the most unbelievable uh, selfless teammate I've ever met in my entire life. And I mean, a guy cares about, it's hard as a, it's hard as a player to care about, you know, every one of your teammates or the film guy usually have two or three guys that are, you're really close with. Garnett was close with everybody. He cared about everybody, rookies, film guys, assistants, interns. Like he just had an unbelievable pulse on the team. And I just wanted to make sure I got that across. And, uh, you know, I was like nervous about the whole thing, but I, I'm, I'm, Everyone said it went good, but I'm just like kind of now like recovering. And this is three days later from the, from the standpoint of like, I just really want to like kind of uh, like and go back and watch it and enjoy it. You know, Scott, I, I watched it. You, you weren't good. You were great. You were phenomenal. And for those of us who knew you prior to this career and people say, what is he really like? I go, that's what he's really like. He's been this way. That's how he really is. Like, Scal, yeah, is, yeah. this is Scal. You know, Scal is going to talk basketball for, like, I don't know. Scal would come into the office. We talk basketball, what, five, six hours? We, we maybe crazy. go to lunch. We just talk yeah. basketball. So I'm not going to – this is not going to be a five-hour podcast. We're just going to get you in and get you out. No, you got things to do. But, Scal, I've never seen you nervous before until I saw you with KG. Like, yeah. Scal always has something to say. You have an incredible personality. He, you're witty. You got funny things with Scout. Like that was the first time I saw you like a little, just a little bit. I mean, you, yeah. you, you, you it, that was, I know that was an emotional thing on a lot of different levels, but to see all of you guys there. And I want to say then, can you comment about this? I thought it was so cool during the whole thing, how you were hosting it. And it's, it had this, it was like simple, but it was sophisticated but when KG and Ray Allen came out and hugged, like I stood up, I was like, that's, that's awesome. I don't know yeah. what happened before then. Talk about that, Scal, because you guys are brothers no matter what. I mean, For sure. You're, you're, you're a champ. I mean, you are the champs. So talk about yeah. that. 
And if it wasn't for Ray, we would have never got together. Like, I think there was a trade on the table for KG before the Ray Allen thing. And I think, I think the story is KG politely declined and said, y'all just not good enough. You know, like we need more players in that. And as soon as Danny make that move to get Ray Allen, then like that was the domino. So yeah, like no question about it. And I, and I, and I wasn't there for the beef, right? We were the closest team you've ever in 2008, 07, 08, every barbecue, every, everybody's charity event. We've all supported each other. And then, you know how it is like, and you were in the first Bulls championship run. Once you win one, everyone becomes like rock stars. It's like right. it's hard to stay close. It's hard to do team events when when you're, you're you spent that much time together and you won in deep playoff runs and all that. By 2010, everyone was still cool. I went to Chicago, and in, within two years, I came back as a broadcaster, and I could tell like it was weird, man. I could tell like you know you can just uh, feel the tension. So there was something going on there that Ray leaves and everything like that. But I, I'm just glad that it went full circle and it, it, it's everyone's cool again. So the way I did it, I was first going to have KG kind of shout out the bench in a question format. Then I was going to go to uh, Rondo and Perk. And then from there, I was going to go to Ray and almost like ask him a question about Ray, 30,000 feet up, let him take it wherever he wants to go. So I didn't do that. KG – I asked him about the bench. KG just went through, blah, 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 and then gets to Ray Allen, you know. And at that point, Ray comes up, they, they embrace. Paul Pierce comes out. And I'll tell you the funny part about it, right? Like, the, the chair is right behind the pitcher, right? So I'm walking. He stands up, and those guys do. So I stood up, and I moved to the side. As I'm walking to the side, Ray hands me his phone. So I just became like a groupie, right? Take a <laughs> Like Scout, I'm I'm up here the MC and Ray Allen hit me with, "Yo, Scout, take this picture for me." <laughs> That's awesome. So I walk around, I take the picture, you know, and and I thought, you know, like I'm so glad I was out of it. I'm so glad I didn't sit in it. You know, it, it would have been funny as hell. Like the internet would have killed me if I would have went up there in <laughs> the big four. You know? <laughs> Man. <laughs> I walk around the front, I'm taking pictures for Ray. I had him in the phone back. And uh, which is crazy because I tell you what, if I was Ray Allen and and I'm like and I'm like squashing the beef, the last thing I'd be thinking about is like, yo, get a picture of this man. <laughs> so that's just not how I think, you know. So, but I'm glad that happened. They embraced and and all that stuff. And there should have never been a beef or whatever it was. Right. But uh yeah, I'm I'm, I'm glad that thing's behind all of them. Because that last thing is. That should not be the mark of the 08 championship team. Yes. Yep. Like Ray and Paul don't get, or uh, Ray and KG don't get along. Like, like we're, we're, we're beyond that. So, you know, you talk about how close that team was as a unit. What's your favorite story from being with that group of guys on that championship year? Maybe an off court moment, on court moment. What's your favorite moment from that season on the way to winning that championship? Yeah. So people ask me, like, obviously, <laughs> winning a championship or raising a banner. Those are like, I call them like vanilla moments that you like, you, you'll never forget those moments and what you go through. Right. But like when people ask me, and maybe I'm wrong, like maybe the way I think about it is the wrong way. But when people ask me about like the team, I remember like random shit happening in the locker room, you know, like plane rides, you know, like I remember like <laughs> card games where this, this insane amount of money and you, you just actually start seeing 
like people start sweating, you know, because there's like real money on the line, right? Like all that type of stuff. And I always remember, like this, like there's like an am- amazing Kevin Garnett story. Big Baby was crushing everybody in arm wrestling, and it got back to Garnett, and there's a big bet on who's going to win the arm wrestling. That was a good story. But this is like a good way to to like explain the team, right? We had this moment. We're in the locker room, and we got the music blasting, and everywhere we went, there was music blasting everywhere. The only time the music stopped is when Doc talked and then the and then, you know, like practices. But as soon as practice was over, it'd be like, bam, the music would kick back on. So it was always music being played. So we got we got the music in the locker room In our locker room, the film room and the locker room are the same. So we're in the locker room and there's like people debating basketball. That's like, did you see the games last night? That's usually the group that I'm in. you got a dice game over here. you got a card <laughs> game over here. you got you got like. People talking about what happened last night and all that. I'm not getting into that. But, like, there's all this stuff going on, right? And you got the music in the middle. So, Doc comes in, and we got these – everything's happening. Bah, 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 bah. And the dice game, it was crazy. You know, like, it, no one hit seven, right? So, it was the money was piling up, and it was, like, getting intense. And Doc was like, all right, man, let's get this film. So, hold on, man. We got, like, 10000 in the pot. <laughs> Boom. You know, like, hit it, right? So, anyways – they, they stopped the game. Doc's like, we got to start practice, right? So he stops. We stopped the game. We're like, all right, the music is turned down. Everyone kind of works their way back to their seat. You know, the card game is in, on delay, and people are still talking shit. So it took us like – like it's almost like kindergartners settling down. All right, everybody, settle down. Settle down. You know, you put the light switch on and off. Settle down. Settle down. So finally, it took like five minutes for that to happen. And that's a long time. Finally, they go to – they go to hit the film button. Doc has a talk and the guy, Brian Adams was his name. He goes to hit the film and the film doesn't work. And like, it didn't work for like a good five seconds. Like, I, I don't know what's going on. As soon as he said that, boom, the radio goes back on. The dice game is on. The car game is on. Like people arguing about who's the best player in the league, who the greatest player of all time is. And it started all over again. And then finally, five minutes later, it was like, you can just imagine, but, you know, like grown ass competitive kids. Like that's what it was. Right. And it was, uh, it was nuts, man. It was nuts. But that was like a good example of just the, like the, the team, we would bet a thousand dollars that you couldn't swish a free throw and everybody will be lined up for Ray Allen to shoot a free throw where he had to hit all net and there'll be eight guys standing underneath. This is like happening in practice, you know? So that's like the environment that we lived in. And it's no wonder, like when you're living under that type of pressure every single day, there's no wonder that we end up winning the championship with that team. Like nothing, nothing, like something's got to us, but that team was ultra, ultra competitive. So I remember all the competitiveness of the guys. Hey, Scout, I, I just wanted to ask you this. Like, I knew Kendrick Perkins in high school. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that he had this type of personality. Did you see this coming? I mean, he is, you know, the whole carry on and the whole yeah. television. Pre- he does an incredible job. Shout out to Big Perk. Did you see this coming? I mean, so many characters on the scene. You had KG, you had Paul, of course, Doc was on television prior to him coaching yourself, Ray Allen, big baby. I didn't see perk come in though. When did you know that perk was like, I didn't even know he was interested in doing media. Yeah. Perk, perk. um, That's why I love, especially with like stuff going on today. Right. Um, 
you know, like the divisiveness of our society, right? And it's great. Like playing sports is amazing because you get to meet people from Europe, from from inner city. Me and Tony Allen, he's from the city of Chicago. T.A. Like, you know, like where he grew up. And I grew up in the, in the middle of the country and uh, out, out, outside of Seattle. And you get to, you meet all these people. And Perk is a good example. And, and, and by this time, I kind of like, I've been through the league and I know like nothing on the outside is what really people are. Like you've got to really get to know somebody. As you know, like, You'll hear a bad, like, oh, that guy's a bad guy. Then you meet him, he's, like, one of the best dudes ever, right? Like, Rasheed Wallace. Everyone's, oh, man, got to yeah, watch out. Yeah. Rasheed Wallace. Man, Rasheed Wallace is, like, one of the greatest teammates of all time, great, right? Great guy. So you, like, like all, all he wants is everyone to be be good and, like, super competitive, wants to win. And, you know, you – but people, like, make these, like, blanket statements over people. And here's one that I think about Kendrick Perkins. Like, Ken, he's from Texas, right? So he has a draw. And he also talks really slow. He doesn't do that now because I remember there'd be times when you get into the debate and you, you know, when you're in debate, you can't be like, well, y'all, you can't, you gotta, you gotta get in and get out, right? You gotta come in, come out, right? And so he used to be able to do that, but he really talks slow. But he was like, I, and I always tell people this, like people would judge people by the way that they talk and like how fast they talk or how like put together they are. But a lot of people, like that talk, you know, like all proper, they got some bullshit behind them. Kendrick Perkins, and you know, I'm right about that. You know, there's a lot of bullshit in the NBA, right? So Perkins, he was as real as he got. He never, and he kept it 100 all the time, but he just talks really slow. So I always tell people before Perk got in the media game, I go, he's one of the smartest players I've ever played with. He's so, he's so in tune with the NBA. He knows like guys' tendencies. He knows like how guys like the emotional side of the league. He knew it better than I did right off the jump. And he would always point certain things out. So if you asked me, would he turn into this type of star? I would have said no, because I don't think people would have gave him a chance. But now that you, you know, ESPN has given him a, a chance and he was phenomenal on his Twitter accounts, phenomenal. He has great takes, you know, some are bad, some are good, whatever. But I, I, you, I knew it when it happened. I'm like, yeah, I could totally see this happening because He's actually really, really bright, and he's really smart. He really knows the NBA, and he knows other sports as well. So I could see him growing into this because, like, the, the information that he brought, even though it wasn't delivered the way that we're, we're used to seeing it on TV, was always top-notch information. You know, Scal, I listen to you do every Celtics game on, on the Celtics broadcast, and I think it's fantastic what you guys do. And I need you to help me here because I've been trying to tell BJ for the longest now about the impact of the Time Lord <laughs> on the defensive side of the ball for the Celtics. And he's just not buying it. He told me the other day he'd rather have Mitchell Robinson. I said, listen, BJ, I need some help. So, so Scout, can you speak to that, about the impact that this Celtics defense has had since the turn of the year? Are Why you really going good? here, Mo? Yeah, of course I'm going here. Oh, we have a guest nah, here. We can't be arguing in front of Scout. No, no. Every day, he sees up close and personal. If you don't want to believe me, you can believe Scout. No, I, I actually, this will be a good test for you, Mo. Mo, what makes, now, now Ime did something with, with Rob Williams and Time Lord that made him, that changed the entire Celtic defense. Yes. Have you recognized what he has done with, with Rob defensively? That, that basically when the Celtics really started to guard, yep. it was the one adjustment. I've never seen it. I never thought it would work. They just keep did. him so as what, the, what, the weak side help defender. Yeah, it's BJ. They're they're playing him. They're playing him like it's like a one man zone. It's really mm -hmm. weird. Mm -hmm. Normally, yeah, yeah. 
normally, um, you know, bigs will guard bigs and then they'll be in the coverages, right? So a big comes up and sets a high pick and roll. Rob will be in that coverage. And then, you know, they shoot the ball and maybe he wouldn't rebound or, or they drive in. He wouldn't be the last line of defense. So he may put them on like whoever the corner shooter is. So he'd always kind of set up to on the right side or left side block and he would be guarding that corner shooter. And he's getting really good at reading the gather, you know, like that's a big part of the NBA now, right? Like mm-hmm. you can't just read where a guy's at. You got to read their shoulders. You got to read their hips. You got to read their eyes. And, and he's really good at now building out to that corner three point shooter and timing it up where, when he knows that a guy's really threatening drive so he can come in and help. But I, what BJ is saying is like, you can't count on him as an on-ball defender in the post. You can't, like, he's just not big enough. I guess the Embiid's of the world, it's going to be tough. And Al Horford guards those guys. So Rob Williams plays off the ball for about three and a half quarters. And then if he's the one they're going to go with, he has to guard the five. But I never thought that he'd be able to read that gather. I always thought like he was a step behind or his positioning wasn't great. But this year in particular, he has really grown in that role. And this didn't happen at the beginning of the year. They move Rob off the ball. As soon as they did that, they all they do is switch. They switch every single screen. So if there's a pin down or a, a ball screen, Rob is still low. And he's doing a really good job of reading that guard that's penetrating. And I like at the time, I, I I've never been a huge Mitchell Robinson fan, but um, I didn't know if Rob could ever be your starting five to win a championship, but now the way that they use him and Al Horford has been amazing. You can, because he's basically, he's basically a wing defender that can also block shots and rebound and his freedom up. He's just not what you would call like a guy that wants to wrestle with Joel Embiid. And it's like, I, I thought when I first saw it, I thought it was like, Oh, that's, that's interesting. Rob keeps getting switched off into the corner man. Then I kept watching, you know, I'm doing every game. Then I'm seeing how successful it is. Then I had to just start asking the coaches, like, like who decided to do this? And as a group, they all decided, like, this is the best way for, for them to guard. And of any players out there, he has the athleticism to defend the rim and get out to that three-point shooter in the corner. And there's probably not a single big that can do that. And right. it really, like, the Celtics have been lapping the field. I think at 91 defensive ratings since they have done that. Um, and it's an amazing adjustment. But I, I can understand what BJ is saying. I'm interested in the playoffs when yep. you play the team, you know, seven games in a row, if like a Eric Spolster or Nick Nurse would try to take advantage of it. Because right now it's only been a problem for most NBA teams. So, Scal, we, we did the game here on Sky Television. And one of your former teammates, Jason Kidd, and the way he played, you know, you guys lost the game there to uh, – to Dallas. Yeah. Jason Kidd brought the Time Lord to the strong side of the ball. And I thought only Jason Kidd would recognize what was going on during sure. the game and made sure that he got the matchup he wanted before they initiated the offense. Yeah. It's like it, that's it, it, it was like it was like one of those things like I was like only Jason Kidd would be that petty in a regular season game <laughs> to do that and exploit yeah, I, that. And that's what I was, and, and that's what I'm worried about in the playoffs. You know, yes. like there's a lot that goes into it. And then there's obviously a, a counter to that. But like I said, the Celtics defense is lapping the field. Yes, and you're exactly are. right. You put them on the strong side, you drive them. Now all of a sudden 
Marcus Smart is at the rim or, you know, Jalen Brown is at the rim, at the rim. And you're trying to – yeah, you're trying – instead of, like, basically what Jason Kidd did, instead of avoiding it, he took it head on. And I, I and I wonder if other coaches are going to do that too, because I'm not saying that they can't figure it out. I'm just saying since their defense has been off the charts, and it's I'm being honest, Rob Williams floating at, at the rim is a problem for the NBA. Yes, it is. Yes, but, it is. You know, sometimes just coming in for one game, not being able to study, there's different things that you can do. I'm I'm I'm. Uh, which one is the Martin? I think his name is Caleb Martin. Caleb Martin. For Miami, for Miami, yeah. He kept he kept getting the ball on the catch, and you know, like if you got a big on you, and this is like the Steph Curry or Damian Lillard effect. You know, if you got a big on you, guards would get into their bag. You know, like Hezzy, you know, mm-hmm. they do that. Mm-hmm. Well, Caleb Martin was getting the ball and driving it, and then he would kick it, and then he would relocate for three. And like we still beat Miami by a lot, and they had players out, but that play in particular, I, and I was really worried that. I can see in a series that this could come back to bite the Celtics. But then, you know, like the Celtics can obviously counter by doing right. something else. But I am – what Jake Kidd did and what Eric Spolstra did, yeah. those are the things when it comes to the Celtics' defense, and I know they're lapping the field right now, I'm a little bit worried about taking Rob and getting him in action above the break and not let, necessarily letting him stay at that rim. How how far do you think this team can go this season? Given a transformation they made, it's not often we see teams that start so slowly turn things around in such a dramatic fashion. So how far do you think they can go? I, I think the Eastern Conference is about matchups. Like, you know, like if, if you guys want to have me on, you know, like that week before, like the play-in week, I'll tell you where I I, I, I think I can see how uh, the conferences are going to, I mean, the, the matchups are going to unfold. But man, like if, there's certain matchups that are just bad for people across the board. You know, like I don't think uh, I think Brooklyn could beat Milwaukee if Ben Simmons is healthy. I think I think Miami could beat Brooklyn, but I don't think Miami could beat Milwaukee. So once I once I see how it's going to go and I'm looking at it, I'm saying, all right, well, they, they have a chance. Any one of these teams have a chance to go to the finals. And it's legit. I think Milwaukee's probably the favorite. And then Brooklyn's like right underneath them because not because of the talent. It's just I don't. I don't know what's going on with the vaccine mandate. I don't know what's going on with Ben Simmons getting an epidural when he had to play a minute. Like, I, this is crazy stuff going around with Brooklyn, right? But I look at it like Milwaukee, Brooklyn. Like, I feel like that's like a, a notch up. Then I think Miami and Boston are like right below them together. Like, man, both those teams are well coached, well organized. The chemistry is amazing. Below that, I look at Philly because I, I don't see why this Harden thing hasn't worked out. I like Embiid getting all those possessions. There's a lot of the only problem I have with Harden and Embiid right now is like I feel like half the time they're searching out fouls. Like in this play, man, you'll get fouls. You know they they draw more fouls in it than any player in the history of the NBA. But the playoffs start to happen and referees are better. A lot of times, right? right. Like the 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 good officials don't go for that bullshit. Like in the playoffs, as you go up, there's better officials and they they are. I know people hate the refs. They boo the refs and all that stuff. Dude, some of these calls that these guys make and, like, the way that they can see the game, it's amazing. So I just don't think that that stuff will work later on. You just got to play. And if you get fouled, you get fouled. You're worried about getting fouled or you're complaining about getting fouled. It takes energy away from trying to win. So I feel like they're a notch below. And then um, I would say, who else is the last team? I'm not, like, I'm not high on Chicago, even though I think they'll be better with Caruso and Ballback. 
Obviously, Cleveland's failing off because of the injuries. Toronto's an interesting team because Nick Nurse is very innovative. So I, I kind of unfold it that way. But right now, there's a good chance that Brooklyn and Milwaukee play in the first round. Like, that's crazy mm. to me, just the way, right. the way it goes. That's why what's really interesting, there's been a lot of talk of the NBA. Like, if you win the East, right, you get to pick your opponent, number one. Mm. Now, the number two, and you can only pick five through eight. So, like, the first pick, no one's picking Brooklyn. No one wants to play Brooklyn. So, if you're one, you say, I'll take Cleveland. If you're two, I'll, you know what, I'll take Chicago. If you're three, you know, like, that's yeah. that's. I think that the NBA should do that. Plus, it would create I do a lot too. of drama. That would be that would be it, interesting. Scout. It, that would be yeah. great. Especially if you're the if you're the first seed, you pick your opponent and then you lose. It would just be pure chaos. Oh, the chaos is what we root for in the NBA now. We like the drama. <laughs> that's why they have that's why they have LeBron and KD up there picking teams for the All Star. That's why they have the last pick. I think that's the NBA thrives off of drama. Thrives. This Russell Westbrook stuff is like every the NBA loves drama. So so when you unfold it, yeah, that's probably how this thing needs to go. I think and I think, you know, especially with teams not caring about the regular season like Brooklyn, they're not a seven seed. They're just not man. They got the best player in the world. So you should get you should be incentivized to say, I don't want to play them. You know, I, you know, I'd rather play whoever Atlanta, whoever it is. Scott, you know, I know you got to get going here. Take us through the Western Conference real quick. Who do you like there? Yeah. So, um, and I don't, I'm not on a time crunch. If you guys got to go, that's cool. But no, no, the, no, uh, no, no. Okay. So, um, so, I mean, and this would be a good question for you. Because this is like, you want to know about those six hour debates? This is what me and BJ, <laughs> this is what we debate right here. All right. Okay. All right. That was part one of our conversation with the one and only white mamba, Mr. Brian Scalabrini. Make sure you check in tomorrow for part two because there is plenty more. We get into some serious debates, debating who the best player in the world is right now, breaking down the Western Conference playoff picture. I don't want to give too much away. Just make sure you're there. We apologize if there was any family-friendly or not family-friendly language that you guys heard throughout the episode, but... You know, we got to keep it 100. We got to keep it real. We appreciate you guys tuning in. Make sure you subscribe. Hit the notification bell so you can be the first to hear when the next episode drops because Scout's got a lot more to say. I look forward to sharing that with you tomorrow. Most importantly, until then, you know the vibes. Get buckets.